Welcome to the Lions Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Monday evening teaching. Even though I haven't gotten back to you all on your essays for the last uh, uh, book, we have to jump in. I will be doing that, but we have to jump in uh, and... Uh, read the next text, <clears throat> at least um, start talking about it, and then you can read it. The Mahayana Sutta Lamkara <clears throat> by uh, Maitreya, um, Natha, and Asanga. So, this is what the book looks like. Is it in paperback too? Anybody have it in paperback? Or is it all hardback? How many people have the book so far? Yay, you're right. Yeah. yeah. It's also available on Google Play for like 12 bucks. Oh, okay. Cool. It's also a free PDF I can Oh, that's nice. So, good. So, <clears throat> this is a, a translation um, that's been in the work for uh, 30 years or something um, by uh, primarily uh, Robert Thurman. People might know who Bob Thurman is, um, one of the first Westerners uh, uh, ordained in uh, Vajrayana Tibetan tradition, <coughs> father of Uma Thurman. <laughs> so uh, I took a summer course uh, from him in Los Angeles in uh, 1976. How long ago was that? <laughs> uh, he's a very dynamic uh, speaker, even now, right? So he was out of it, um, very enthusiastic. <clears throat> so the <clears throat> the text also uh, uh, entails the commentary by uh, Asanga's brother Vasubandhu. So we have that. Also, so tell the story uh, over again quickly about um, Asanga. Um, he was a regular scholar and um, went as far as he could with his studies, um, and uh, decided to go. Needed to go on retreat to clarify some issues. Uh, and of course, ended up being on retreat for 12 years in sections of three years each. And there's different elaborations on the story, but after each, it was doing a practice to uh, on Maitreya to have a vision of Maitreya and nothing. This, I think, actually is the most important part of the story. There are other stories that are great, but when he was about to leave, he left retreat, his cave or wherever he was, and then he saw like a bird with its wing brushing against a mountain. People know this, but I'll have to tell you again. So, and he said, obviously, he had some powers even at that point. He says. What do you think you're doing? And 
the bird said, I'm brushing away the mountain. So we thought, if the bird can do it, I'll go back and retreat. That happened like three more times. Nothing. Who would practice for 12 years and really like nothing? Anybody? It's hard, right? That's why this, you know, everyone's... <laughs> By the way, yeah, well, <laughs> we get <can> out. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> Dirk and I are still here. <laughs> so the final, uh, he got nothing after 12 years, so left retreat and tossed his mala in the latrine. <laughs> I certainly felt that way. Then walking back to town and on the way he, he saw an injured dog and he thought, well, I haven't accomplished anything in retreat, but maybe I can be of some help to the dog, as we know. And uh, he got down and he saw uh, the dog was uh, wounded and being maggots, which is kind of gross if you've ever seen that up front. So, but he sliced off a piece of his thigh to feed the maggots, right? And, and then he noticed, like, well, if he picked the maggots up with his finger, he might squish them. So, who knows what he did next? Karen does, right? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and just as he's about to touch the maggot, like Maitreya appeared. And it's a very authentic story, because lots of times with realization, there's a little anger that comes up. And he went, well, where have you been this whole time, right? <laughs> and my try, of course, said, I've always been here. So, and then I guess my try came back to being a dog, and he put the dog over his, you know, carried, <laughs> went into town, and uh, said, I've got my tray. And of course, he was nuts at that point, according to the villagers. But later, he made a number of different trips to uh, one of the high heavens. Actually, not the highest one. I think Tushit is like, Akanisha is the highest, maybe Tushit is seven. But in any case, this is where the Buddhas arrived from. So he went to visit Maitreya, and basically, these were channeled, these texts were channeled to him. So Thurman discusses a little bit, it's interesting, like, well, why not? If we say that that's a metaphor and that didn't really happen, then then we'd have to cross out a lot of other visionary things and said that didn't happen either. So we're just going to go with it. So he received um, made major five major treatises and other things, and this this one is is one of the most comprehensive, Mayana Sutra Lamkara, which he translates Thurman as Universal Vehicle Discourse Literature. So we know what the universal vehicle is, right? Mahayana. And <clears throat> sutra is a discourse, right? Thurman being Thurman always gives a different uh, 
Alamkar is usually like ornament, right? But he makes a good point. If anybody's read, uh, started reading that, um, uh, it's really meant to be. This is. It's like saying this is a classy piece of literature. Thurman makes a point like he's trying to talk to a very educated group of people, and not just. Uh, monks or nuns, but trying to talk to a very elite group of people in India at the time, like that. So it's like high literature, like that. It's interesting how he translates. It makes sense to me, like that. Because otherwise, ornament, we'd, we we might not get the, you know, we're just thinking jewelry, right? <clears throat> For those folks that are um, sick or discouraged or have become nihilist as a result of <laughs> reading uh, Nagarjuna and Chandrakirti and maybe Aryadeva and whoever else. Uh, now we are switching sides, so to speak, and this uh, text and Maitreya Sangha's teachings are from what's called the Yogacara school. Most people are more comfortable with Yogacara because it's, uh, or sometimes it's called Chittimatra, um, sometimes it's called Vijnanavada, uh, but it's kind of a positive way of saying things, right? Like, we can be comfortable talking about mind and Buddha nature. Couldn't really talk about Buddha nature very much with the gardener, could we? <laughs> so, <clears throat> but the Yogacara school still sees itself, uh, if indeed it's a school, but a, a group of people that wrote and in, in practice in a similar way, as still the middle way between extremes. Yogacara means like practitioners of yoga and Thurman. Uh, talks about the writings in the, in the Shastras as being experiential descriptions of the path. And actually, I like that. So for me, Madhyamaka is a dialectical process of investigation where you end up with what must be so. But Yogacara is more like what it feels like what the experience of doing the path, what the experience of uh, realization is. Because even Yogacara says, at some point, uh, absolute paramatha satyas, we can't describe it. It's non-dual, it's luminous mind, but we can't really, that does not exhaust it, right? And it's still empty of own being. It's still emptiness. Dzogchen would still say emptiness, right? Yeah. <clears throat> However, we, instead of just saying emptiness, we can say the empty, luminous awareness, something like that. So how does it feel? So, generally, when I'm talking to people and they're wondering about what's it like to be awake. 
I say, and what's it like to have realization? I said, well, what's it like to be alive? How would we describe to someone else really feeling alive and being alive? We should have that problem already as bodhisattvas. People are saying, well, why are you doing this practice anyway? <laughs> it's not doing you any good. <laughs> and then, then you say, well, yeah, I'm still not doing the dishes all the time, but I really feel more alive now, right? Would that be enough? It might be if they pick up on it. <clears throat> so, uh, Madhyamaka is very straightforward in some ways, <clears throat> almost like math in a sense, and it's very dialectic, and we use the intellect to um, clarify. We do that in Yogacara too, but Yogacara is interested in giving us an outline uh, and experience of the path. So in the past, sometimes I've described uh, Yogacara um, like not knowing how to ride the bicycle or what a bicycle is, but what's the experience of really enjoying a good bike ride? A little bit different, right? It, it does feel different to say, well, conventionally that's a bicycle, but we can't really find the bicycle. And that's, that's kind of good, like when your bicycle gets stolen, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's not, it doesn't really say, what's it like to go out for a really nice ride? In Tibet, by the time... Uh, these teachings got to Tibet, um, uh, they had already been synthesized in a lot of ways, and we have Tantra. So I haven't required people to read the last great synthesizer of Madhyamaka and Yogacara, which is Sandarakshita, who was the abbot uh, with Guru Mshe that started Samye. For extra credit, what's, what's Samye mean? in Tibetan. Anybody? That's Samaya. But thanks for guessing. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. It's amazing. So, uh, Santarakshita had um, problems with um, the local deities <laughs> establishing. So, uh, particularly uh, or the local politics. So, uh, particularly, I can relate establishing lions or here. So, many times I'm calling on Guru Rinpoche to eliminate obstacles, right? That's necessary. <clears throat> but by the time we got to Tibet, we actually, these, particularly in Tantra, both Yogacara and Madhyamaka systems uh, are used concurrently. So, and the refuge tree, somewhere out here. It's moved over here. Um, yeah, oh, there. Thank you, right there. So you have two lines. You have the lines coming through Manjushri, and you have the lines coming through Maitreya, and they merge. Whoever your, your central person in the refuge tree, whether it's Gurvam Shea or Lama Sankapa or, um, you know, just Shakyamuni Buddha, that they're going to come together like that. And that's what, when we take refuge, we have the 
extensive wisdom, extensive deeds, right? They come together. So this this uh, text is really uh, how to practice the whole Bodhisattva path, but kind of like Chandrakirti's, but from this uh, mind-only school of Yogacara. Will that make you feel better, Matthew? Be feel better. <laughs> but it's not necessarily easier to um, <clears throat> figure out because the uh, Trishi Yogacara has not, don't talk about two natures or two aspects the way we do in Madhyamaka, which is the conventional and the absolute. It talks about three. So initially we think, great, we get more of an explanation, but it also creates a little bit more problems. The, the three is the, you know, very simply, is this just raw delusion, right? That's, that's easy. And there's the absolute empty nature. But then there's the interdependent nature. There's something in the middle. And that, that's where it can get a little fuzzy, like, what's, what's that nature of it's not completely false, it isn't the absolute truth, but it's what we see if we see clearly it's almost like what what would the chair look like? What would people look like? They're not disappearing into emptiness, but what would they look like and act like and feel like when we remove delusion? So we're not just ending up like Madhyamaka saying, well, there's the conventional world and then there's you can, the unfindable emptiness world, but what's it like in the middle when you're relating, when you're awake and you're relating to things from the standpoint of aliveness and awakeness, what's that like? This is what the tantras are for, like what's it like to feel awake? And Yogacara is like the philosophical basis of how to explain what it feels like, how to explain philosophically and coherently and rigorously what it might feel like. Maybe I'll stop there just for a moment because I think this sounds completely obvious and simple, but it's not really. So let's stop there for a second. Three natures. Unlike Madhyamaka, not just the conventional and then the ultimate, but we have the idiotic, <laughs> meaning the delusional. We have the paranispana, the, the ultimate nature, but then you have the kind of paratantra, the intermediate. What would things be like if Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you don't have two, you have three. It's not like the third one, what? So sometimes when you have a guy, you know, reality, and the connection of those two together. Yeah. So the distance is connection together that's different. It's a little bit different the way you go about it, so. We have uh, the three natures are uh, the, it's sometimes translated as imputed nature, just kind of like Madhyamaka, Parikalpita, <coughs> Sobhava, and then the middle of the Paratana is called dependent nature. Interdependence, you know, we say interdependence, right? And a lot of times people, of course, will say, yeah, interdependence when I feel like connected with everything. And then there's the delusional, the parikalpita sabhava, and then that's the the idiotic. I like that word too, <laughs> idiotic. Uh, uh, <clears throat> so I'm trying to put it out experientially, like, well, how do you talk about philosophically? non-delusionally, uh, for example, about your feelings, your inner world, without reference to you. It's hard, right? So, sometimes uh, uh, in couple therapy, which I don't do that much anymore, but I get wicked and I say, okay. So we're not allowed to use the word I or you at all. But we're going to try to communicate what's going on with us. Think you could do that? Just talking about, well, warm, warm feeling... Um, now block a sense of like attraction you know I mean you just you can't say I or you you can just talk completely experientially without postulating an outer reference point or a fixed inner reference point you just have to talk about very phenomenologically right could you do it yes no, well, what's third person? We, us, I no, no, you can't use any referent. Can't use it. You just got to talk from, you know, like wind, colors. I don't know, it's a little bit like poetry. Sometimes poetry doesn't have any personal pronouns in it, right? Can you write poetry without personal pronouns? Yeah. Might be, might be just very descriptive. 
Sometimes there is, yeah. There's wind. There's wind and cold. Well, we can't do that because that would be going into paracalpita, the imputed nature. So we're kind of talking about windiness, so hot. Well, what you're talking about here is like, let's say we just try to talk completely. The other rule is you can't mention any past or future. Okay? So you just have to talk completely, no pronouns, no past or future. But then how do you account for change and stuff like that? That's, you know, so. Yeah, how do you how do you know what like is just delusional, idiotic, imputed nature, and what's kind of this um, paratantra, you know, independent, you know, kind of uh, dependent nature? Yeah, you need to do a lot of meditation, but explaining it philosophically so that it stands up to analysis is is tough. Like if, well, like if you said to somebody, it goes like this, like let's say you say, okay, here's how uh, we're going to solve your family problem. They go, okay, great. You're going to tell him that he's just wrong and I'm right. It's not hard to solve it. <laughs> okay, so you say, okay, here's how we're going to solve your argument as a couple, your family problem, is we're not going to you know, say I or you or we and we're not going to, you know, talk at all about past or future. And let's say they go, okay, uh, you know, like this sounds crazy, but if you're willing to explain to me how it works and what the clinical outcomes are and it stands up to investigation, you know, we'll give it a try. But until you explain it to me and how it works, uh, we're not going to do that because I don't know what you're up to. Okay, so that's the task in front of, uh, you know, Vasubandhu you know, and Asanga. Like, how are we going to lay it out so that you'll do this? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Yes, absolutely right. Correct. Yeah, so 
if you have to explain reality to a sophisticated audience, uh, a group of people uh, that are already yogis and well-read, and you want to get them to kind of uh, not just kind of you don't want to do the just the Madhyamaka thing and you just don't want to do the Vedanta thing. You want to try to get them excited based on the experience of it. But it still has to be fairly rigorous, right? These are people, you're talking to people that are, you know, versed in logic and philology and grammar and are already yogas. How would you do it? So you've got to be enthusiastic about the experience. You you know, you've, you've got to say, like, food, like, it tastes really good. It really, really tastes good. You know? And, you know, but somebody might say, well, I'm a vegan, so what's in it? So you'd have to say, oh, yeah, well, it doesn't have any gluten and it doesn't have any meat, but it tastes really, really, really good. And they say, well, where did you source the food from? You know, you'd have to go through all these thingies to get them to do it. And the yoga charas, uh, you know, are trying to do that. So, I'm trying to... You'd never get this from a traditional Tibetan mama, I tell you, you wouldn't. Because, but I'm trying to put it in context so it means something to us instead of just, here's another description of reality which we're supposed to assent to or deny, right? You know, instead, like, is trying to say, Hey, taste this, and you're going. What is it? That is it a, you know, you know, a melon? And you go, no, no, it's not a melon. Is it a banana? Nope, nope, it's not a banana. You know, like some foreign fruit, and you, you know, and you're. Remember those phases when there was these, these wonder things that you take, like blue green algae. Remember when people were selling that? So any, you know, and they'd go. This will fix everything. You know, and it came little jars and you'd buy it for a hundred bucks or something. And you know, you'd, you'd live longer, you won't have any more rashes, you'll sleep well, um, sex is great. You know, I mean, everything, right? <laughs> and, you know, mostly probably a lot of people didn't investigate, well, where did it come from? And, you know, but actually, for some geeky people, you'd have to. So, that's what the Yogacara is trying to do. They're trying to say, you know, we're, we're trying to describe it and still be rigorous if we're talking to Madhyamakans and we're talking to regular Samkhya or Vedantin kind of Hindus, right? Really trying to get a big, really big audience. I don't think you're going to get a really killer big audience with... Uh, Madhyamaka stuff, right? <laughs> not, you know, not going to sell tons of tickets. I mean, it, it, it gained, it gained, you know, it, it did gain momentum as the years go by, and you know, but <laughs> I think it was a small group, don't you? Yes, <laughs> you can relate with that. Yeah, okay. Elizabeth has come alive for that one. So, <clears throat> so when we're reading this literature, um, uh, it's not it's not quite as polemic as um, 
Madhyamakam, you know, definitely not as polemic as like Chandrakirti, who, if you were reading carefully, uh, you know, trashes some Yogacara ideas, you know, in the text, right? But uh, he wasn't as bad. I, some of you may for extra credit have read Arya Deva's 400 verses, where he's very sharp. And uh, the tradition says he was so annoying that people, you know, in the monastery or the village killed him because he just <laughs> wouldn't lay up, you know. Yeah, I think so. Murdered, yeah. Really? Yeah, I think so. Does that make you? <laughs> Good. No, that yeah. Yeah, but in the um, Yogacara Universal Discourse here, the the Mahayana, you know, we're trying to kind of, it's a little bit of a big tent kind of thing. We're trying to say, okay, a little bit for everybody. We have the ultimate nature. Yes, we recognize ultimate nature. And we have the Parikapita, the completely imputed nature. But we're saying there's this uh, thingy in between. which I would call the feelings we, you know, this is California, or we could say the experience we have of being with others, with ourselves, that doesn't fit into, you know, I'm here and you're there. doesn't fit into the ownership of a positive entity. So that's why in Yogacara we have what we're really emphasizing, non-dual awareness. But it's hard. It's even hard to talk. You can't say, I just had a non-dual experience. Right? Please don't come to me in Darshan and tell me that. <laughs> I, just, I just had an experience of non-duality. Please do not do that. I'm just, you will save yourself a lecture. So. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's extremely important literature because if we're not getting you know, this mix, and there's still, there's, there's still the dialectic of Madhyamka that we, that in Tantra we, we have going at the same time with the Yogacara, but uh, without reading the Yogacara literature and understanding it, uh, I think Tantra will just be some kind of fantastic bubble. I don't think it'll make sense. And in uh, our tradition, Actually, it makes a difference if it makes sense. We could have a debate about that, but sometimes, and Americans and particularly, like people think, well, the less I know, I can't figure anything out, and you're in this kind of agnostic intellectualism, you know, like no one can really know anything, so everything is everything, and all paths lead to the same goal. That's not Vajrayana Buddhism. <laughs> And that sure isn't Bob Thurman, because I once had a discussion with that, I mean, just his head blew up, and his glass eye popped out. <laughs> He's, that's a hierarchy. Some things are just plain wrong. I go, okay, okay. Yes. Um, it, it's all how uh, 
what, what's interesting also about yoga chara, it's, it's also all how we see the rainbow. You see, how, how we relate with the rainbow. So it, if we, we recognize, in a sense, that the rainbow can't be a solid thing, has to be empty, but at the same time, there's the, there's the experience of the rainbow that has uh, a kind of, you know, uh, there's a kind of a truth there. So we're not just saying, well, we, okay, that's a rainbow and that's conventional and you got it, or we can't say anything about its essence, but we can say something about it. But we can't quite say, I saw a rainbow over there. That would be conventional, right? That would be just usual conventional. And if, which is actually fine with Yogacara too, but if we believe it, then of course we're going to be delusional. But let's say you didn't want to talk in conventional language. Let's say you wanted to communicate the experience of seeing the rainbow and you were as interested and excited about it, you wanted to communicate to it, you wouldn't just say to somebody, hey, I had a real, you know, I saw a rainbow. <laughs> you, you'd, you know, you'd want them to participate in the experience somehow, right? You want them to kind of, so it, it does have, uh, people have noticed who've done the Mahamudran Dzogchen retreats that Mahamudran Dzogchen presentations many times are very poetic and evocative and uh, visionary that way. But they do have a, a rigorous philosophic base also. That we as practitioners are expected to know and um, actually to be able to defend. Because what if somebody says, well, we'll We'll donate a temple to you, but you have to be able to defend your yogachara position against my theistic position or against my, you know, purely madhyamaka position. Could you do it? Yeah, yeah, we'll try. You know, debates were very serious in India, where you actually would have to like leave the temple in 24 hours if you lost the debate. But actually. We, we, don't, we, we don't want to lose someone's ability to do the practice, right? So we have to, we're trying to present Dharma in a way that's both true to its inherent uh, emptiness, but also uh, it's luminous and interesting and alive, right? So how do you do that at the same time is, is the task. Just because I'm a total geek, I just will tell you that I'm enjoying this book, Madhyamaka and Yogacara Allies or Rivals. <laughs> so, uh, Jay Garfield, who is the translator for, of course, our um, Nagarjuna, um, put together a number of articles. So, at some point down the line, for the group that is still here, we're going to try to have some kind of some kind of debate or some kind of little bit of debate style, right? Would you like that, Elizabeth? To be a good debate? Yes, of course you would. Yeah. 
Mm. Also, in our system, um, it really does make a difference. Uh, the intellect is an activity of mind, right? So we're not anti-intellectual kind of zenis who say the smarter you are, the further you are from realization and truly, you know, uninformed people are more enlightened, you know, that kind of 1960s backwards thing. No, it does make a difference to have an acute intellect. It does make a difference, uh, you know, what container we put the water in. What do you think? Maybe maybe we're all agree on that. So, huh? Thanks. Yeah. So when we're reading um, the literature, we're not just reading about Buddhism, or we're not just doing an historical. So we're historically informed, like reading the history of blah blah. That actually. Um, by working with these different presentations of people's practice and realization, uh, we're guaranteeing uh, that our realization is going to be this lifetime also. Yes. Which way? natures. Um, well, we don't want to make the Christian Protestant missionary mistake that's saying the earliest scriptures, like the Pali scriptures, are the truest scriptures, kind of like the earliest books of the Bible or the truest books of the Bible, right? Which is what early Western scholarship did. Um, uh, but definitely the Pali scriptures were the first ones written down. According to Western, yes. Ah, thank you. So that's new scholarship, yeah. In the last, last. Oh, thank you. And our, 
well, we can go home now. This is good. Um, in our tradition, we say that actually the Buddha gave selective teachings according to the audience. Which in my own brief teaching career, I've definitely found to be so. That even, you know, you know, 40 different people in the same lecture are going to hear 40 different things. But also, the Buddha did give some teachings to some people and not to others in our tradition. So we have continued that in Vajrayana. So to get some teachings, it's necessary to have taken refuge. Some teachings, necessary to take in Bodhisattva vows. Some teachings, it would be necessary to you know, have tantric impairments. Some teachings, uh, higher level teachings, you actually have to be around. You know, pith instructions and you know, the trans, other non-dual transmissions. You, you just have to be around, right? So um, that's, that's the explanation for why there are a variety of teachings like that. And there's a lot of debate still which one's more, most profound, of course, right? And the, uh, the Tibetan canon, you know, just put everything in there, but then ordered them according to a hierarchy. So we're going to try, I'm going to try to present Yogacara Chittimatra as a living way of trying to express our opinion uh, our, our, about our experience in uh, a coherent way that honors both the subject and object, meaning non-dual. That's not easy to do, right? Yeah. But uh, please read through Thurman's idiosyncratic translation sometimes, which I've gotten to like, I, but... The only thing I don't like about Thurman is that when he, I, I like him when he says Natha is like Maitreya Natha's savior, oh, that makes sense, but then I don't like it when in other settings he translates Dakini as angels. So I'm saying this, like, we, we can, we can you know, be critical to, to Bob, can't we? Yeah, we can say, huh? Yeah, you know, we can say, you know, I, I don't, you know, wh- why are you, you know. So uh, we do always want to read a text critically. Mm-hmm. Correct. So a little bit of homework from the experiential thing is... Um, you know, work on trying to describe your inexperience about meditation uh, to someone who didn't know you or know what you're talking about. Yeah, your inner experience. I try to ask the people in Darshan, usually people circumambulate, and I say, please describe your you know, what happens when you're doing shamatha, vipassana, or deity yoga, and they go, it was good. Didn't ask that. Or, 
oh, I feel bad, I didn't do that much practice. Right? Those are judgments. Um, so it's hard to describe our inner experience, and we generally need an inner language, right? So if you're thinking about, like, how would we explain and a little bit excite someone about our inner practice from a descriptive point of view, then then when you're really trying to be in that place, then when you're reading this Shastra, this discourse, then you're in the right zone. We're not just saying, it's good for you. You know, we're trying to describe what's it like, what's it feel like. Not how is it possible, like in a philosophic or scientific sense, you know, like when they, when Richard Davidson puts, you know, sensors on Minga Rimshay's head and, you know, that's trying to say, how is it possible? How, how does mindfulness or awareness work? We're, we're not going there. We're trying to say, how does it feel and how can we explain that coherently to a sophisticated audience, right? So when I say, what's been your experience in shamatha? Uh, we have to be a little bit more descriptive than just... Um, yeah, I feel a little calmer. That's nice, and that's good, but that's not going to get someone super enthusiastic, perhaps. You know, people say, well, I'm a little calmer after, you know, doing a bowl, or I'm a little calmer after, you know, <laughs> going for a walk, so why do I have to meditate? So I'm emphasizing this because the Mahayana here has a strong kind of engagement, proselytizing atmosphere to it, right? So it isn't just like, well, we're the math geeks or we're the logician, Madhimika geeks, and we don't really care whether you get it or not. Um, Nagarjuna is actually Mahayana. He's nicer than that. But this is more like, hey, we, we, we want you to kind of feel it, get the get the energy. So we have to be a little bit more poetic and descriptive than just saying, yeah, I, I had a lot of thoughts, you know, I had a lot of thoughts. And, I don't know, you know, like right, a little more descriptive. So I'm egging you all on a little bit to say, you know, be, be as descriptive as possible when you're talking about your practice. Like if you had to, like, for $100,000, could you describe what happens in 24 minutes of meditation? Would, or would you just, well, I, I don't know, there are times where I had a lot of thoughts and times where it seemed like I was concentrating on my breath. No. The Abhidharmists, right, the, that style of doing Vipassana, the Abhidharmists would blow you out of the water. So we could say, you know, we're not Abhidharmists, we just trash them in the Heart Sutra, right? 
so we know they're not discrete moments. But if an Abhidharmist person said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just completely you know, trash you because I can describe in minute detail my experience over the last 24 minutes. And we're just sitting there going, I don't know, I felt kind of spacious and, you know, we'd lose. There's serious Abhidharmas that are live in the world today who are doing, you know, just can really, you know, be descriptive for long periods about their, what's going on. It's impressive. Years ago, did, have ever anybody heard Joseph Goldstein? Yeah. So I got to know Joseph when he was in Nevada City for a year writing a book. Uh, really a nice guy. Really enjoyed him. Uh, and he was studying, I, I can't remember, maybe Ubakin or some heavy duty, like you'd go in to meet with the teacher and the teacher would say, you'd have to recount everything that happened during the previous meditation period and the walk up to his room. Or he'd ring you out. Your thoughts and feelings and emotions. Could you do it? And Joseph is super honest. He said, well, I did pretty well. He kept meeting with me. But a lot of Vajrayana people are lazy and they're just going to go, I don't know, I was just resting in the nature of awareness. That won't do it. What do you think? That's right, right? I don't know, you know, when, you know, like, when you're first dating somebody, you can't, you can't say, well, how was that? And you go, it's okay. Got to be a little bit more enthusiastic about lovemaking. That was good. Felt more relaxed, <coughs> right? It's got to be a little juicier. Tantra and Yogacara is juicy. I've said it too many times, right? So we'll, we need to stop here anyway. Do prayers, but this is the direction we're going. Okay, let's do dedication. This has been a Lions Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.